First Kings chapter 18. I want to preach to you tonight about Jezebel's church in action. Jezebel's church in action. Been preaching to you a little bit about Jezebel's church. And uh, I don't think you could find a better place in the scripture to figure out the principles that are operating in Jezebel's church than right here in First Kings chapter 8. And just to remind you where we're coming from, Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says, uh, talking to one of the churches in the book of Revelation, the Lord says, he says, I know thy works in charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Uh, this woman here, you know, is a queen. She was married to King Ahab, which is really where the context of 1 Kings chapter 18 is. But here he calls her a prophetess in Revelation chapter uh, 3. He calls her a prophetess. So she is a religious woman by far. And you, hopefully you know a little bit of background about who Jezebel is. Jezebel, I like to say, is the worst king that Israel ever had. But she wasn't the king. She acted like she was in charge, but she wasn't, she, she wasn't really in charge. God was really the one that was in charge. Her husband wasn't in charge. He wouldn't tell her anything. She was the one that had to make all the decisions for him. You remember old Ahab was the fellow that got on his bed and sucked his thumb. And it, it what's old Jezebel came? What's the matter with you? Well, old Naboth won't give me his vineyard. She said, "Get up off your bed! Ain't you the king of Israel?" She said, "I'll work that out for you." And she did. She had Naboth killed. She had him murdered in cold blood. Lied about him. But that doesn't stop Jezebel from being very religious. It don't stop her from being very religious. And I don't have time, don't want to preach uh, all the sermons that I've preached before. I think I've only preached two sermons really dealing with this. And, uh, but I preached, I think two weeks ago, the idea, I preached a sermon called Where to Find the Devil. And people think, you know, when you think about where you're going to find the devil, you're going to find him in the bars and in the nightclubs and you're going to find him, you know, in the prison houses. That's not where you're going to find the devil. You're going to find the devil right here. You're going to find him right in church. The devil's realm of operation has always been in religion. Uh, the devil, the Bible said, uh, and he talks about Cain, and he says, Cain, who was of that wicked one, talking about the devil. He's talking about a spiritual relationship there. He said, Cain, who's of that wicked one. Well, Cain was not a bad guy on the surface. He turned out murdering somebody. He turned out to be a murderer, murdered his brother in cold blood. But Cain was religious. And then when the Lord turns around and he looks at the Pharisees, he says, ye are of your father, the devil. So the devil's realm, no doubt in my mind, and I hope there's no doubt in your mind that the devil's realm of operation is in religion. And listen, what better way could he get what he's looking for than to be involved in church? You say, what's the devil looking for? Worship. He, he wants somebody to worship him. Uh, he'd take it from anybody. He said, he, he offered the Lord. He took the Lord up on a high mountain and the Bible said he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, I'll give you all this. He said, this is delivered to me. He said, I'll give you all this if you'll just bow down and worship me. That's very important to the devil apparently. Just, just for a, a, a sacred minute of the Lord Jesus Christ's worship. I'll give you all this. 
Devil's interested. He's interested in religious matters. And so, uh, so we, we spent some time trying to develop that thought in that particular sermon. And the, the motive behind developing that thought is to get you to realize you need to be on your guard in matters of religion. And the great, uh, the great danger that we face in, in modern day religion is that everything is now trying to be blended. Everything is now trying to be joined together. Uh, you can see that. Listen, the world always follows the lead of the church. They always follow the lead of the church. When, when the church has a revival, that affects the world. When the church goes into apostasy, that affects the world. Uh, the, the church, I'm talking about the body of Christ, everyone that's been placed into the body of Christ, trusted Christ as your Savior, you're part of his body according to the book of Colossians, according to the book of Ephesians. Well, when you look at those things, there, there are the Lord places lines of de delineation between things that are not the same. Well, what the devil wants to do is he wants to blend things together. And you know what's happened? The world has followed suit. Now, now when you go to the bathroom, uh, you look up at this picture on the wall and uh, on the door and you don't know whether this is the men's restroom or the ladies' restroom or as I saw in, in Dairy Queen the other day, the unisex restroom. What is that? I don't know what that is. Uh, I'd never met one of those. Amen. Amen. I, I, yes, sir. I was born this way. You was born that way. Amen. Amen. Not, not going back up on that stuff just because it's popular with Congress or, or with the presidency. But I, I, think, I think we know where we stand on all that stuff. But anyways, uh, the, the, the world has followed suit in its politics. Everything has to be blended now. We don't know, you know, what's right. And that really, it, it began to take place in colleges and universities. I, I'd be careful about saying when, but it, it got to the thing to where everything's relative. Everything is relative. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Everything's relative. And so morals become relative. It's all in how you look at it. It's all in a matter of perspective. And boy, that, there's no doubt in my mind, there's no doubt in my mind that that has come about because of us. Yes, sir. Ye are the salt of the world, talking to us, the church. Ye are the salt of the earth. Well, the reason that the world is in such the horrible shape that it's in is because of us. So the purpose behind these messages, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to raise your awareness of what we're dealing with. And hey, let's do something about it. Uh, I'm not interested in sitting back and resting on my lees and content with the fact that revival could never take place in America. I don't know that it ever will before the Lord comes back. I don't know. I don't know. But I want to shoot in that direction. Yes, sir. I want to shoot in the direction of seeing bars shut down, seeing bad places shut down. I want to see a revival of people coming to the church and falling under conviction and getting saved. I've heard the accounts. I've heard the accounts of things that took place in England and things that took place in Scotland and things that took place in Wales, things that took place in this country in the 1700s. I've heard of those accounts where people were running to the church, crying out, asking God for mercy. I want to see it again. But listen, we're never going to see it again until we figure out what we're up against and until we raise our arms. 
This is a fight. This is a fight. And so this evening, I thought it'd be very good to look right here in 1 Kings chapter 18 and let's take a look at Jezebel's church in action. We can draw some principles out of here that'll help you see the workings of Jezebel in her religion. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll read just one verse to get rolling here. The Bible says, well, let me pray first. Father, help us tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd meet with us. God, I pray that you'd help us tonight. God, Lord, I pray that you'd empower me. God, Lord, I'm unable. God, to get across, Lord, the things, God, that are labeled, God, as spiritual truths. God, Lord, I can, Lord, uh, preach what you've put on me. God, I can preach, Lord, what you've laid on my heart. And, Lord, but, God, I can't make those things real to the people that are here. God, I pray that you would do that, and I pray that you'd help your people. God, Lord, folks that are here, God, that's saved, that's trusted you. God, Lord, I pray that you deal with them, God, and help them, Lord. And perhaps if there's someone here tonight, Lord, that's never trusted you, God, I pray that you'd draw them to yourself and show them, Lord, the dear Savior that you truly are. God, Lord, that you are the answer for all of their sin problem. Lord, we'll thank you for it. God, be with us tonight. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look here in verse 21. This is really the main, the main verse that I want to read to you. This would be my taking off spot. Uh, let me just say this. I hope you know the context of the passage. First Kings chapter 18. Uh, Elijah has been in withdrawal, if you will. He's go, gone before Ahab in First Kings chapter 17. And he said, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, he said, there ain't going to be no rain. For three years, according to my word. And that's what he said. You go back and look at it. He said, but there's not going to be any rain no more. And boy, about after the third year, old Ahab's sending out his servants. And he's, he's actually, he himself is with his servant looking for some water and looking for some pasture to let his cattle uh, graze in and let them feed on. And lo and behold, his old servant Obadiah runs into Elijah. And he says, boy, you, you are Ahab's most wanted. Where you been hiding out? And he said, well, you go get him and tell him that I'm right here. And you know the story. Ahab shows up and says, you're that troublemaker, ain't you? And he said, no, it's not me. It's you. He said, you and all your idolatry. You letting your wife bring in all this Baal worship. He said, you're the source of the problems. He said, I'll tell you what. Let's solve it once for all. Let's have a contest between me and the prophets of Baal. And boy, he got him out there. Look, I said we was only going to read verse 21. But look here in verse 19. He said, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450. That's a lot of prophets. That's a lot of people. And the prophets of the groves 400. That's a lot more. 450 plus 400. That's 850, ain't it? I did my math right there. I, I hope so anyway. Uh, he said... He said, these are prophets which eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent unto the, all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together under Mount Carmel. Let me just throw something in here right, right here right quick. Uh, listen, I know uh, the frame of man. You say, how do you know the frame of man? Because I is one. And I know it's very easy to get discouraged when you feel like you're the minority. There's a lot of talk about minorities this day and time. Let me tell you who the true minority is. It's Bible-believing Christians. It's Christians that have trusted Christ as their Savior and open up God's book and read it and believe what it says. Regardless of the reaction that they get when they say, hey, this is what I believe. Why do you believe that? Because it's in the Bible. Well, you're a narrow-minded bigot. Well, I still believe it anyway. That's a minority. It's always been that way. It's always been that way. That's supposed to be encouragement. 
I'm just telling you, you look at yourself and you say, boy, they don't, you know, you look around here at People's Baptist on a, on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night and you say, boy, there's only a handful of us. Boy, we seem like the minority. It's always been that way. We should go get some more. We should go evangelize. There's a difference. We'll get to that here in just a little while, Lord willing. There's a difference between evangelism and advertisement. But you should go get some more. But I'll tell you, uh, this way is not popular. The old time way is not popular. The Bible believing way is not popular. The, the people have always favored Jezebel's way. They've always favored this religion from Jezebel. Look at what he says in verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? You know what Elijah wanted them to understand? He wanted them to understand that, hey, this religion over here, and the religion that I've partaken in, God's religion, the true religion of Israel, he said, these two things are not the same. Amen. They're not the same. They're not the same. Now, let me just be very clear about what I'm preaching about tonight. I'm not preaching necessarily about denominational differences. I'm not necessarily preaching. Uh, we spent one service, and really I didn't intend to, but we talked about the history of the Roman Catholic Church and the history of Protestants. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. It's not what I talked about when I preached you that sermon on where to find the devil. What I'm preaching about is this subtle influence that has crept into our churches, that's trying to take our churches and just make it nonchalant, make it non-edgy, make it just kind of, uh, just one more social organization. Something has crept in and that has, has put its tentacles around the church's throat, so to speak, and has tried to get it to just, now you hush your mouth and you play nice with everybody. And, you know, you've you got to be politically correct from the pulpit and you can't say anything that's going to hurt anybody's feelings. And God have mercy. God have mercy on the pre preacher that would be out to hurt somebody's feelings. But listen, do you know that before you got saved, your feelings was hurt? Yes, sir, there's something in the gospel itself that violates a man's confidence in his own mind. It, 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 it violates his confidence in his own self-righteousness. Uh, man says, I'm good enough to make it to God my own way. And God said, no, you're not. And that comes, that comes from a preacher. That comes from a preacher. Hey, I believe I can make it to God on my own. And a preacher says, God says differently. Who do you think you are, preacher? Nobody, just God's mailman. You're not good enough to make it to God in your own power. That's why Jesus Christ had to send his son to die for you. That's why he had to send his son to die for you. But see, now that what there's going on in the modern day church is something that's creeping in that's saying, well, you know, that's a little bit too hard of a message. You've got to tone that back and make sure that you're not offensive to people. Well, listen, listen, listen. Jesus Christ is the rock of offense. Jesus, Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. He's the rock of offense. Well, I went down there and I got offended down at this such and such a church. Well, what was they saying? Was it true? If it was true, then you should have been offended if you're not lining up with it. Anybody ever been offended by what a preacher said? Hey, listen, let me tell you the right place to go when you get offended. If what the preacher said is true, Huh? If he opened up a Bible and what he said is true and you got your feelings hurt, you got offended. Let me tell you where the best place to go is. It's right there. It's right there. That's the best place to go. Don't go out the back door and uh, yammer on to your cousins and your aunts and your uncles who couldn't give a rip about what's going on down here. 
Huh? Get right with God and God will put some salt on you. God will put some juice on you. God will put some power on you to where you can go back and be a help to them and say, hey, you need to come down here and get a good dose of this Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's, that's exactly what's going on. That's exactly what's going on. You got to tone this down is what the world says. You got to tone it down is what the church of Jezebel says. And old, old Elijah said, no, we're not toning it down. We're going to tone it up. Yes, sir. We're going to turn it up. You say, it, you say, Brother Nathan, that sounds a little bit militant. That's what it is. That's what it is. Hey, listen, we're not operating under the kingdom of heaven right now. We are operating under the kingdom of God, okay? So I don't recommend killing nobody because they don't believe right, okay? But listen to me, listen to me. When all this got said and done, you know what Elijah did to the prophets of Baal? He killed them. He killed them. Jezebel had to start from scratch. That sounds a little militant to me. I just don't care much for this militant Christianity. Listen, listen. That's the only brand of Christianity that exists. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Boy, there's so much liberty in here tonight, I might die of a heart attack. That's a great blessing, though. That's what you got right here. You've got, you've got Elijah. Look back in, ver- in the text. He said, how long halt you between two opinions? There are two things that are different. And Elijah said, I don't want you to get them confused in your mind. I don't want, them, I don't want you to get, boy, boy, it's really hard not to jump ahead of my notes, but I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and do it. Uh, listen, I ain't got no respect. I don't have no respect, no respect for a non-denominational church. None. None. I got more respect for a Presbyterian. I got more respect for Pentecostals. I got, hey, I'm against what they teach. I'm against what they teach. But I got more respect for a Roman Catholic than I do for a non-denominational church. You say, why? Because they're at least honest. Of course, Roman Catholic is kind of pushing the limits there. They're, they, they, they're not honest. At least you know who they are. I put it like that. They're honest about who they are. Somebody that's non-denominational or interdenominational, man, you don't know what they believe. Pull up their church and look at their church doctrinal statement. I had a preacher come out here on the church parking lot and he asked me, this is what came out of his mouth. He was retiring from pastoring a church in Illinois, I believe. Did you know they're safe folk in Illinois? Well, this was one of them. I met one of them. I know they exist. Not like aliens. I was going to say much like aliens, but not like aliens. Uh, Save folks exist in Illinois. And he drove up here and he said, he said, I'd like to get a doctrinal statement from your church. And I said, well, it's just so, it's just funny that you asked me about that because I just am now putting one together. And I said, as soon as I get it together, I'll give it to you. And I did. I gave it to him. Took me a couple of days, but I got it all together and handed it to him. He told me that he went to a church right here in this town, an independent Baptist church and asked them for a doctrinal statement. And you know what the pastor of that church told them? Oh, we don't mess with stuff like that. You, you don't mess with doctrine. You, you, you don't mess with doctrinal statements. You don't want anybody to know what you believe. Listen, you're dealing with Jezebel's church. That, that is an organization 
that be far-fetched to be called a church. That's just an organization that's looking to collect people to some kind of a social club or a movement or an organization. Listen, when you come to People's Baptist Church, we want you to be under no misconception. This is a church. It's a church. We have church. We have preaching. And it's a Baptist church. That's, that's what we believe. So we just don't want people to be confused about that. But this Jezebel's religion. Well, we just kind of. We'll tuck that behind a pizza party. We'll stuff it behind a spaghetti dinner on Thursday night so nobody really finds out because we want everybody to come. Hey, hey, we want everybody to come too. But we don't want to compromise what we believe. Yes, sir. We don't, we don't want to compromise what God told us in his word just to make somebody comfortable and make them want to come back. We want you to come back. We want folks to come, but we don't want to compromise God's word. Let me get on with this. Let me say this also out of this verse, verse 21. He said, how long? Halt ye between two pinions. You know what halting is? You know what halting is? That's crippled. It's, it's got something wrong with your feet. The Bible talks about when that angel touched Jacob on the hollow of his thigh. The Bible said that he had to walk with a staff for the rest of his life. And he was halt on that leg. That's the term that the scripture uses. It says he was halt on his leg. You know what Elijah says right here? He said, you caught between two opinions. You caught between two. And he said, what it's done is it's crippled you. It's destroyed your country. You know what's destroyed America? The same thing that destroyed them. Trying to have, hey, trying to have this Judaistic Christian background that we do have. Hey, this country, this country is a Christian country. And I mean that in the sense of when it was founded, it was founded by a largely a people that had a large Christian influence in here. And so what this country's trying to do is, well, we want to be tolerant of all these other religions. And it's crippled this country. It's crippled her principles. She don't know which way is up. Now she can't tell the difference between boys and girls. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. She can't tell the difference between who's supposed to get married and who's just supposed to be friends. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You say, what happened? What happened? She's caught between two opinions and now she's hauled. She's just limping along. Somebody said one time, they said, he who sits on the fence is going to get shot at from both sides. Well, we're Christians. Oh, well, what do you believe about getting to heaven? Well, I believe we're all getting, I believe we're all working to go to the same place. Well, what about the Muslim? Oh, yeah, I believe there's a lot of good Muslims that's going to heaven. They're not going to heaven because of Muslims, because of Islam. Hey, hey, listen. I said this, I think two weeks ago, maybe last Sunday. I don't remember. It all runs together to me. Hey, if somebody's going to heaven and they're Muslim, they're going to heaven in spite of their religion. They're going to heaven because they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You say, are you saying that Muslims can't be saved? I'm saying Muslims can't be saved by what they believe in their religion. That's what I'm saying. I believe there's some Roman Catholics that are saved. I just don't believe that the Roman Catholic Church saved them. Hey, I believe there's some Baptists that saved. I just don't believe the Baptist Church has saved them. It's a doctrinal position. Being a Baptist, being a Presbyterian, being a Pentecostal, it's a doctrinal position. 
But that's not what puts somebody in heaven. What puts somebody in heaven is what you believe about Jesus Christ dying for your sins at Calvary. That's what puts you in heaven. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How long halts you between two opinions? Let me, let me point out three things in the passage that's different between Elijah's religion. Can we call it Elijah's religion? Let me point out three things that are different between Elijah's religion and Jezebel's religion. First of all, let me point out the worship's different. The worship is much different. There's a flavor. Let me just go ahead and hit it before we look at the text. There's a flavor. There's a flavor of worship floating around. Now, that is very much akin of going to a rock concert and getting involved in a mosh pit. Yes, sir. It's very similar to what you used to see at Woodstock. I'm not old enough to have been around when Woodstock was around. But I've heard stories about it from, I won't tell you from who. <laughs> I don't want to sell nobody out. They're not sitting in here anyway. Don't. If, you, if you went to Woodstock, I don't know. And don't tell me, please. Don't come to me after the service. I was there. <laughs> I never look at you the same. Let me just be deceived. Hey, Listen. You, you know what I'm saying. Listen, you know what I'm saying. There's something about it. There's a, there's a worship that is very much akin to what the world has to offer in a rock concert. I mean, after all, they call it Christian rock. That's what they're calling it. You say, what's that all about? That sounds to me like it's the religion of Jezebel trying to blend in it. Let me look, get at the text. Look here in verse 26. Let's look at the worship. Verse 26, well, verse 25, Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first for ye are many and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them. Now, you know, the, you know the, the, the thing of how they're going to figure out which God is the right God. Get, both take a bullet, cut them up in pieces, put them on our respective altars. We'll cry out to our gods and the God that answers by fire. That's the one we'll serve. And they said, deal, we'll do it. Well, this is, this is the prophets of Baal. Verse 26, they took the bullet which was given them. They dressed it, called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon. Hey, you got to give them something. They dedicated they're praying more than a lot of Christians are praying. Morning till no, let's say let's say morning is nine o'clock. That's a little bit late morning. Nine o'clock to noon. Nine to twelve. That's three hours. You pray three hours. Yes, sir. Look at what he said. He said they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it, called on the name of Baal from morning. Even until, he, uh, until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. They're enthusiastic. They got some zeal. But you know what they didn't get in return? They didn't get an answer. Hey, listen, listen, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It don't matter how zealous you are. It don't matter how enthusiastic you are. It don't matter. It just doesn't matter how dedicated you are. If you got the wrong religion, I don't care how hard you try, you ain't getting an answer. That's all there is to it. Uh, it's like picking up the phone and hearing that dial tone. If you got the wrong religion, there ain't going to be no answer there. Oh, but I'm dedicated. But you ain't got the right religion. Oh, but I'm enthusiastic. I'm going to cry to the top of my lung. Oh, Baal, hear us. He's not going to give you no response. He's not going to give you no response. Now watch what he said. He said, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. There was no voice. 
There was no voice. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. Hey, you know what they got? They got them an altar. Let me ask you a question. If you read down through here in 1 Kings chapter 18, why don't you tell me the details about that altar? Can you tell me much about the altar? Listen to me. Listen to me. Before you jump, before you jump to a conclusion, let me just tell you, there's not much details in there about that altar. You know what that insinuates to me? It didn't matter. Not to the prophets of Baal. All they needed. Hey, uh, you, you, you a prophet of Baal, aren't you? Uh, not really. Just for a second. It'll say, you a prophet of Baal, ain't you? Oh, yes, I'm a prophet of Baal. Oh, well, uh, you putting this altar together right here on Mount Carmel. Uh, why, you, why are you building it this way? Well, what do you mean, why am I building it this way? Well, I mean, you arrange the rocks this way and you put the lumber this way. Why are you building it that way? Well, I don't have any specific reason. I'm just making an altar. Yeah. So you don't have any purpose in mind? No. You don't have any particular motive? No. Your God didn't give you any rules about how to build that altar? No. Well, that tells me something about your God. It tells me something about your worship. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, you go back into the Old Testament. Oh, Brother Nathan, we're not in the Old Testament. I know, but we worship in the same God. Yeah. Hey, some things, I'll, I'll admit to you, some things have changed. But his character and his personality has not. He's still a holy God. He's still the same God of order that he was in the Old Testament. That God of order in the Old Testament said, I want you to build me a dwelling place. And I want it this color. These colors. Not this color. Not single. I want it these colors. And I want some furniture in my dwelling place. And this is the furniture that I want. He listed it out. And he said, this is exactly how I want it made. This is the size. He said, if you get it wrong, it's going to be bad for you. And Moses said, yes, sir. And he said, as a matter of fact, when you get ready to make all that furniture, he said, you, Moses, you take those instructions and you give it to a man in whom the spirit of God is. Bezalel, that was his name. There was actually another fella too. There was two fellas that built that thing. But that's the way it worked. God was very particular. Boy, I, I say this not seriously, but to get the point across, it almost seems like the Lord was a little bit fussy. Hmm? Don't y'all get so quiet. I'm talking about fussy like your wife. Yes, sir. You know, you, hey, uh, on a serious, some people's that way. Just got to have this thing just so here. My mother, my wife is not that way. My wife is very easygoing when it comes to where the furniture sits. I think the whole time we've been married for the last 10 or 11 years, I think she's moved the furniture in, in the house where we live now maybe twice. She just don't care about that stuff. But my mother, that's a different story. And listen, she could move stuff to where you don't know where it's at, but if you move something that belongs to her, she's going to let you know in a hurry. Yes, sir. You say, why? Well, I, I don't know. She got radar. She got something built in that just knows. It's motion detectors before China ever came up with that technology. I don't know that China came up with that. The Lord's that way. God knows. God is very particular. God's a God of order, not these prophets of Baal. These prophets of Baal, hey, any old altar will do. Hey, you just do it any way you want to do it. So long as you come and worship Baal in your own way. No, sir. Not the God of Israel. 
Hey, not our God. Maybe the God that you've conjured up in your imagination because that's the only place that Baal exists. Baal is not real. The only place that he exists is in the imagination of Jezebel. The only place he exists is in the imagination of the prophets of Baal. If it's even there, they probably know it's a lie. Oh, but hey, not our God. Our God's real. And our God has real standards. Our God has real expectations. It matters. It matters. It matters. Our God is holy. Listen, don't you ever let anybody talk you out of the idea that God is holy. Grace notwithstanding, God is holy. God is pure. God is just. God will never compromise his holiness to be loving and kind to you or me. God will make a way. He made a way. But he's not going to compromise his holiness. God's a holy God. Yes, sir. Any old way is, will do is what the prophets of Baal say. That's, that's what they say. Look here in 1 Kings chapter 14. Let me get on with this. I'm dragging this out a little bit too long. Of course, I, I'm enjoying it. But I know some of y'all got to get to work in the morning. But look here in 1 Kings chapter 14. Look in verse uh, 22. 1 Kings chapter 14 verse 22. The Bible says, and Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they had committed above all that their fathers had done. For they also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. You know what the, you know what the religion of Jezebel says? You know what the church of Jezebel says? She says more worship in more places is what the call of the day is. You know what God says? God says the right worship in the right place, in the right way, with a right heart, is what the call of the day is for. God said he wants it right. I was going to take you over to First Chron- or Second Chronicles, but I'm not going to look there th- this evening. Over in Second Chronicles, I'll tell you where it's at. Verse uh, chapter 29, you've got a king by the name of Hezekiah. And he goes through and he begins to, he really has personal revival in his heart and he's made king over Judah and he goes through and he says man let's get right with God and so they start going through and they start cleaning up the temple they start cleaning they start sanctifying all that stuff they get the priests where they're supposed to go they set all this stuff in order and then they observe the Passover they observe the Passover and listen the Bible says in second Chronicles I believe it's chapter 30 31 towards the end of the chapter it said when they got done with observing the Passover doing what God told them to do it said it created such joy in the land as was not known since the days of David and Solomon it had an effect obedience to God had its right effect you know what he did in the very next chapter In the very next chapter, I believe it's the first verse, you know what he does? He starts going through and he starts wiping out all these high places. All these groves, that's a a place of trees. Well, all these groves that's been planted and grown to these false deities and false gods. He goes through and he cuts them all down. You say, what's he doing? He's getting the nation right with God. You know who shows up in 2 Chronicles, I believe it's chapter 32, you know who shows up? A man by the name of Sennacherib, he sends one of his servants over. He's a king over Assyria. And the king of Assyria lays siege against Jerusalem. Get all of his armies outside, cut off the supply lines. And boy, them old Jews, they're sitting there in Jerusalem. They're getting hungry. Hezekiah went through and stopped all the wells of water so that the king of Assyria wouldn't come and find water for his own men. Boy, they're in a bad way. 
And old Sennacherib sends up one of his captains up there. And that fellow comes and he speaks to the Jews that are on the wall standing guard. And he says, you know, he said, Sennacherib sent me over here to conquer this place. And he said, you've got a king named Hezekiah who's talking you guys out of just surrendering peacefully. And he said, what Hezekiah is telling you is that your God is going to take care of you. Your God's going to deliver you. This is what this guy's saying. This is what he's saying to the Jews on the wall. He said, but isn't that God, that God that Hezekiah saying going to deliver you? He said, isn't it that God whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said you can only worship at one altar? He said, isn't it that God who all these groves belong to? Well, I'll answer that. No. He wasn't right. This King Sennacherib, he wasn't right about what he was saying. But that's the understanding that he had. He looked at this stuff. This is the attitude of the world. The attitude of the world is, well, all these details really don't matter. What really matters is just that we have more places to worship so that people can just come and do it any old way that they want to. You know, they can come to church in uh, shorts, Bermuda shorts and flip-flops. Come in their little tank tops and, you know, we don't want nobody to be judgmental because we just want worship. And you know what God said? God said, no, sir, I want it done the right way. God said, I want it run the right. He said, I want it. He said, if you're going to give worship to me, I want it done correctly. You say, what's correctly, Brother Nathan? His way. I said, how's God want it done? It's right there in your book. It's right there in your book. You say, but Brother Nathan, these people is worshiping God and they're so sincere. The Bible said, the Bible said, God, Jesus Christ said, he said, they that worship me was, must worship me in spirit. Is that a period right there? No. He said it's in spirit and in truth. You say, well, what if we leave out one of those? Then it ain't valid worship. It's wrong worship. It's wrong worship. I said, it's wrong worship. You say, but Brother Nathan, they're throwing their hands up and they, it just looks so, it looks so genuine. God said, it's wrong worship if it ain't done his way. God said, you know what affects worship? It's a dirty word. Doctrine. You say, why'd you say that that's a dirty word? Because that's the attitude that the modern day church has about doctrine. Oh, that's a dirty word. I told a preacher one time, I was a young man, a little bit, a couple of years older than Brother Wyatt here. Brother Wyatt's a preacher. I was a preacher. I surrendered to preach when I was 12 years old and about, oh, I say maybe 16, 17, 18. No, I was older than that, probably 18, 19 years old. I went up to a fellow and I said, I don't preach all, the older man been in the ministry for a long time. I said, I don't preach all that doctrine stuff. This is what I said. He said, I said, I don't preach all that doctrinal stuff. I said, I preach things that are more practical. I tell you the fellow's name. His name was Alan Jones. Alan Jones pastored a church up in Ohio. See, there's safe folks in Ohio too. And as soon as as soon as I said that, without even thinking, without even batting an eye, he looked right at me and he said, "All doctrine is practical." He said, "That's the dumbest statement I've ever heard in my life." You know what I found out? I found out he was right. All doctrine is practical. You know what determines the way that you live? What that Bible says, what you believe as a form of doctrine. You say, well, Brother Nathan, I just, I really don't believe anything. <laughs> it shows in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I, I'm not saying that to be sarcastic. I mean that. Yeah. It shows in your life. If you don't want to be pinned down to anything, that'll show. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, sir. It'll show. It'll show. Uh, hey, what do you believe is the way to get to heaven? Well, you know, I just, I don't, I don't really want to be pinned down to anything. Why? Joel Osteen? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's not right. It's not right. Yes, sir. The reason we worship the way we do is because of the, we have the details of worship. And that's called doctrine. You know what the Lord told him? I say this, and then we'll move on to my second point so I don't keep you here all night, although I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, the Lord told the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, he said, in vain you worship me. They're worshiping him, but the Lord said it's vain. He said in vain they worship me because they teach for doctrines the commandments of men. They're taking what? A man said, and they're substituting that as Bible doctrine, Old Testament doctrine. Hey, this is the way it has to be. And in Matthew 15, he gives them an example. He said, the Old Testament says, honor your father and your mother. And he said, you say, I'm going to tell you what it means. It's a little bit different, worded a little bit different in your King James text. But he says, you basically say, if it's for the church, we don't have to give that to mom and daddy. We don't have to honor mom and daddy. And he said, what you've done is you've made the commandments of God of none effect by your tradition. He said, you're worshiping me in vain because you're teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You're saying something's okay when I didn't say it was okay. You're saying people should do something that I didn't say that they should do. He said, you've gotten away from my book. And it's affected your worship. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's messing everything up. It's destroying it. You say, what, what, what's messing it all up? Your bad doctrine. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Doctrine's important. Hey, listen to me. I'd rather, I say this one more time and we'll move on. I would rather get in a disagreement with somebody about doctrinal matters. Really would. I'd rather, of course, I, I'm right. Hey, that's the, that's the attitude you should take. And if you're not, get right. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. But hey, I'd rather disagree with somebody. I'd rather just look at them and say, I don't agree with you. You're wrong. I'm right. And I could have a conversation with them after that as opposed to trying to deal with somebody who says, well, I just don't think that stuff matters. You're the worst scoundrel that's ever walked the face of this planet. It matters. It matters. It matters. It's a big deal. You start messing around with a church that starts putting forward this idea that doctrine don't matter. You're not messing around with God's church. You're messing around with Jezebel's church. You're messing around with a church where the devil's involved. You better run. Amen. You better run. Yes, sir, you better run. Well, let me say, uh, I said, first of all, worship's different. Then let me say this, the sacrifice is different. Look, look right here. Look at what he said. He said, verse 25, choose you a bullock for yourselves. Dress it first and call on the name of your gods. He said, you many call on the name of your gods. Put no fire under. And that's what they did. Well, they get down there at the end of verse 26. There was no voice nor any that answered. They leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass that Elijah, at, it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. He made fun of them. That's what it says. And said, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he's talking He's on the phone. Mm -hmm. Or he's pursuing, he's chasing something. Or he's in a journey, he's just taking a trip. Or peradventure, perhaps is what that means. Or peradventure, he sleepeth and must be awakened. You better holler a little louder. He's he getting a little drowsy over there. You better wake him up. 
I just don't think it's right to make fun of people's religion. Oh, Elijah didn't care. Made fun of them to their face. Of course, this day you go to jail for hate crimes. But Elijah didn't care. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Verse 28, they cried aloud and cut themselves. This is what the prophets of Baal did. Hey, they start with the same sacrifice that Elijah has. It's a bullock. It's the God-ordained sacrifice. This is what God told them to bring. You're going to bring me a sacrifice? Here's what you bring. Well, they started out with that, but it wasn't enough. In the minds of the prophets of Jezebel, prophets of Baal, it wasn't enough. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives, cut after their manner, uh, knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. You know what became the sacrifice? Not what God chose. What became the sacrifice was themselves. I'm the sacrifice. And you know what the altar became at that moment? It became a platform of self-promotion. Hey, the place of worship now has become a place of promotion of you, of the people, the worshipers. Hey, when you come to worship God, you know how you worship? In your heart, you are abased. And in your heart, God is exalted. That's the essence, really, of worship. You can say a lot of other things about worship, but in its simplest form, the best way I can think of saying it is, in your heart, there's a heart of adoration because you recognize how insignificant you are and what a great God God is. And there's humility that takes place. You know what the prophets of Baal do? It's reverse. What they've got now is they've got a place, they've got an altar. The place of worship has become a place of self-promotion. Now it's about talent. We've got to get the guy up there and preach who can really bring in the crowds. We've got to get the folks up there to sing who look like they're on American Idol. It's self-promotion. People eat that stuff up. You say, why? Because this is a society that loves entertainment more than they love the truth. Hey, listen, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, keep preaching the truth. Keep saying the truth. Don't matter what people like, don't matter what they want, keep saying the truth. Just keep saying what's true. Yes, sir. Keep saying what's true. Yes, sir. The sacrifice is different. The shift, the emphasis begins to shift from the truth to now your journey and your experience. You heard these emergent churches talk about that stuff. Yes, sir. I, I, if I could remember their names, I'd call them, but I can't remember their names because I don't spend enough time watching them. I got better things to do with my time, like blow things up and you know, build things and then tear it apart. I just don't have enough time to watch that stuff. But you hear these guys talk about, I want to help you. I want to give you something that'll help you on your journey. Hey, my journey was completed. Listen, my journey was completed the day I met Jesus Christ at Calvary. The only thing I'm waiting for now is I'm trying to be faithful to him on a day-by-day basis, and I'm waiting for the trumpet to sound. Yes, sir. I'm not trying to get to God. I got to him at the feet of Jesus Christ at Calvary. I got to him. I'm there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Your journey. Then it turns into your truth. It's your truth, man. It's your truth. No, sir. I don't have no truth. Let God be true. And every man, every single one of you ladies should know that verse by heart. 
probably quoted on a daily basis, except for Heidi. That's my wife. That's right. You know what Paul said? He said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what people's glorying in now? Their cross. Well, I had to give this up. And boy, I sure went through this. And God brought me through, but boy, I really went through this. Hey, listen, about 15 years ago, I've been in church for a long time. I, I, I haven't been saved my whole life. I got saved at seven years old right in a, a tent revival right over next door. But I've been in church my whole life. I've been around churchy things my whole life. And you know, about 15 years ago, maybe, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, I began to notice a shift in church. I'm talking about independent Baptist churches, churches that are like us. There began to be a shift. And you know what the shift began to go towards? It began to go away from this, the cross of Jesus Christ. To, oh, I'm just having such a hard time. and I know God's going to see me through. See, it sounds pious. It sounds pious. Oh, I know God's going to see me through. And boy, things are just so difficult, but God's going to see me through. Well, hey, listen, I know that that's true. I know God is going to see me through. And I'm not throwing off on that and saying you should never talk about that. But that shouldn't be the emphasis of your life. Amen. Hey, the emphasis of your life should be God saw Jesus Christ through for my sake. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, quit glorying in your cross. Quit glorying in what you've done for Jesus and start glorying in what Jesus Christ has done for you. I'm, listen, I'm not saying you should never talk about what you've done for Christ. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that shouldn't be the focal point of your life. Hey, when you see a lost man on the street, the first thing you should say to him is, hey, you should come down to the church because I'm really smart and I know a lot of information. No, no. No, no. First thing you should say to somebody on the street is, hey, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Well, I'd like to know a little more about that. Well, come down to the church. You should know a little more than that. You should know a lot more than that. But if you don't, hey, come down to the church. Let a preacher preach a sermon to you, tell you how you can know your sins is forgiven. Don't glory in your cross. You ever ran across folks to where, hey, how you doing? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> Let me, let me give you some advice. Quit calling those people. But they'll think I'm unkind. You don't care anyway. I say that to be a little bit funny. But in your heart, you really get tired of listening to that stuff. Hey, when you get them on the phone, okay, you think that's a little bit too hard. Okay, that's all right. I'll give you something better. When you get them on the phone and they, you say, hey, how you doing? And they start off, hey, let me just stop you. Let me just stop you for just a second. Let me tell you what God did for me this week. Hey, let me tell you about the day that I got saved. God changed my whole life. Yes, sir. That's something real good to talk about. Yes, sir. There begins this shift towards, oh, so bad. Listen, let me tell you, that's why subjects in churches like depression is such a big hit. Because people glory in their cross. Not in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, nobody likes me. Hey, nobody liked Jesus. The men, the 12 men, listen, the 12 men that said they liked him all ran and fled when they came to arrest him. Peter, I love Peter, but it's there, it's history. I'll never forsake you, Lord. He was one of the first to hightail and run the other way. Glory in what Jesus Christ did. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, let me say this. This is where I close. The, the, the worship's different. The sacrifice is different. But I tell you what's most startling is the answer. The answer that the two gods gave. There's only one God. But I'm approaching it from the position of the text. The answer that those two gods gave was much different. Yes, sir. Uh, look, in verse, look in verse 21. Let me point something out to you. He said, how long, is, Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. It's good advice. If Baal, then follow him. And the people answered not a word. You know what they was looking for? You know what they're looking for? They're looking for answers. What the people of Israel was looking for, what Elijah was looking for, he had it. He had the answer. What, what he was trying to get these people to look for is, hey, find the God that will give you an answer. He said, the God that will answer by fire, that's the one we'll serve. It's that simple. They're looking for a God that has answers. Let me ask you something about your religion that you got here tonight. Does it give you questions or answers? That's not a question that I'm really going to try to answer for you. But that's something that you should consider. Before you get down in the mouth about this grand salvation that we have, let me ask you something. Has it given you answers? Hey, listen, there was a day in your life, if you're sitting in here and you trusted Christ as your Savior, there was a day in your life to where the only thing that could be found in your mouth was cursing and bitterness. That's according to the book of Romans. I believe that's chapter 2, might be chapter 3. All that could be found in their mouth was cursing and bitterness. All that could be found in their heart was adultery and thievery, hatred, enmity, strife. You know where a lot of that came from? A lot of it came from frustration. A lot of the anger that you had came from frustration. Why? No answers. These people over here say this. These people over here say that. Well, what's really true? And then somebody came by and gave you a gospel track or some preacher came by and told you the story that how that Jesus Christ came and took your sins on his back and went to an old rugged cross and you knelt down at the foot of the cross and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and immediately, boy, the lights came on. God gave you answers where you... Before all you had was questions. It gave, you, it gave you answers. It gave you answers. Hey, listen, if, if salvation is so bad and there's nothing to be said about this religion, what would you get saved for? If the world's better than what you got right now, sitting in a little Baptist church on Sunday night, out in the middle of nowhere, little podunk town Folkestone, how did we even end up here? But here you are. Hey, if what the world has to offer is better than this, then what are we here for? It's not better. You know what we have that they don't? Answers. You know what? You know what they said about the magicians and the wise men down in Babylon and down in Egypt? Pharaoh, Genesis, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, the book of Daniel. He said, boy, we got some questions that the wise men and the astrologers. I hope you ain't messing around with astrology. Trying to find your zodiac. I, I was looking at, I typed in the date in Google today or yesterday because I was trying to do something with my bank and they wouldn't let me do it until Tuesday. I said, well, tomorrow must be uh, a holiday. I looked it up. No, there's no holiday tomorrow. Uh, you know, they got all kinds of stuff now, uh, all kinds of holidays. Uh, but anyways, uh, 
But I looked it up and there's no holiday. But as soon as I typed in the date, it said the Zodiac for tomorrow is. I know there's a lot of Christians. I don't know who they are. Please don't tell me if you're one of them. Go right there to Harvey's and open up that stuff. Looking for answers. Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh both said, these astrologers ain't got no answers. They went to a man. Nebuchadnezzar went to Daniel. Pharaoh went to Joseph and said, hey, these people's got the spirit of God. They got answers. Hey, your religion's got answers. Prophets of Baal ain't got no answers. Hey, listen, you might have some questions sitting right in here as a saved individual. You might have some questions tonight. Some things that you don't have answers for yet. But I can tell you this, I know where to find them. I, I don't know even what your questions are. I don't know what their questions are. But I know where you can find the answers. It's all right there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Your God's got the answers. Your God's got the answers. And then let me say this. It's an answer by fire. Not just any old kind of answer. It's not an answer by water. It's not an answer by snowballs or throwing dirt. or. It's an answer by fire. You say, why fire? Well, glad you asked that question. Fire has a long-standing association in the Old Testament with the God of Israel. When Israel came out of Egypt, one of the first things that met them on their way out was a cloud that began to just showed up in front of them and started providing leadership. God said, hey, you see this cloud? Wherever it goes, that's where you follow. When it settles, you need to set up camp. That's pretty easy. That's God's GPS in the Old Testament. God don't need electricity to do what he needs to do. He got, he got his own stuff. But all of a sudden, when the sun goes down and it gets dark to where people can't see, all of a sudden that cloud, poof, God turns their nightlight on. Turns into a little pillar of fire. And that thing illuminated the camp of Israel at night. And them kids lay down right there in those tents. See that big glow out there? Knowing God's watching out over them. You say, what is that? That's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. Sure it is. I know this about fire. Fire doesn't leave things the way that it found it. You've been out in town and seen somebody that got some hot grease spilled on them or maybe got in a house fire. Run out. I've been out in town before and seen folks. I'm not talking about black folks. I'm talking about white folks. Get involved with some kind of house fire or something and boy they got patches on their skin whatever you can see soup it's white maybe no hair growing there you say what happened the fire didn't leave them the same way that it found them hey listen this religion the true religion when God answers by fire it don't leave you the way that it found you hey this religion that doesn't have the fire you know what it does it pulls people in, but it doesn't change their life. It doesn't clean their mouth up. It doesn't clean their heart out from all the filth and the lust that's residing in there. It doesn't take thieves and make them workers. Yeah, it doesn't change their life. It does not change their life. This false religion, this church of Jezebel, it just says, come on in and you can just be the way that you are. God loves everybody. And he does love everybody, but he sent his son to die for your sins. 
so that that fire that they were singing about tonight could be lit in your heart and your life would be entirely changed. Hey, when God gives you an answer, when the true God gives an answer, it's going to be by fire. He's not going to leave you the way that he found you. He's not going to leave you the way that he found you. Let me ask you something. Which religion are you messing around with tonight? I'm talking about what's the principle of religion that you mess around with. You mess around with the prophets of Baal? Oh, Brother Nathan, I'm not worshiping no idols. No, I'm talking about is the religion that you're involved in, is it changing your life on a daily basis? Has it changed you here first and foremost? Was it, is it still working in your life today? When you get out on your knees and you pray and God begins to answer, if he answers, if he answers, he's supposed to answer. He answers his children. May not be the answer you're looking for, but he answers. Hey, are those answers changing your life? Should be. Should be. So, Brother Nathan, I really don't want my life changed. Then maybe what's going on is you're messing around with the church of Jezebel. And let me tell you something. There's a better church. You say, whose church is it? Well, I like people's Baptists, but let me tell you who this church is a part of. It's God's church. It's God's church. You say, how do I get involved with that church? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. That's where you get in the church, right there. Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness tonight. Lord, thank you, God, for this grand thing that we're a part of called the church. God, Lord, by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, we thank you for these things. God, Lord, I pray, God, Lord, as we just tried to, tonight, Lord, to just differentiate between things, God, that are not the same. I know this world is trying to push their religion on the church. And God, Lord, this is just a simple attempt to push back and say, we're not interested. We got something better. Lord, I pray that you give us a burden. God, give us a burden to take what we have out there. God, help us to take a burden, have a burden, God, to take our religion and take it to this lost and dying world. Lord, nothing the world has that the church needs, but God, Lord, the world needs everything that the church has, and it's all in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to take it. Lord, we we'll thank you for it. God bless these that have come tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Some have come. Listen, if you need to come tonight, why don't you come? Why don't you come and do business with the Lord as he leads? Amen.